0: Hello apartment friends. It's me, Leslie Mathis with the Multifamily Streamline Podcast. I'm so excited to be back with Melanie Whitlock to do a 30-day check-in after transitioning from RPM to Asset Manager. We unpack the highs, lows, good, bad, and sneak in a few struggles and highlights. You won't want to miss her excitement over Christmas parades tractors with a side of Mary in the Church Christmas pageant. Me and I love this girl. Melanie, I'm so excited to have you back. I guess we're here for a 30-day check-in. So tell us all the things like the good, the bad, maybe even the ugly. Well, the past 30 days have been a
1: complete whirlwind from Charlotte to West Palm Beach to Charleston to Greenville to Asheville. We have so many projects going on. Sometimes I don't know what I've even accomplished in the past 30 days, but I've definitely learned a lot. The good is we are building communities in the most fabulous places, and there's going to be so much opportunity to build community and build relationships with people in those areas, and I have learned so much about the partners and you and kind of what we're trying to accomplish. The bad... I really wouldn't say there's anything bad. I do think that in our particular environment, we're all running in different directions. So sometimes the communication can be lost in translation. And you and I talked a lot about that this week and how we need to internally just prepare ourselves um, before even calls where we have with partners or property management. So all I would say that's where we can get better. Um, The ugly, I really don't have anything ugly, maybe in 60 days, but not today.
0: (laughs) I mean, how ugly could it get going to all those places and playing golf in West Palm Beach and, I don't know, it sounds like a dream job to me. Can you get me signed up?
1: You were, you could have played golf. You chose not to. Gosh, <laughs> yeah, she's, um, she didn't want to embarrass herself is what she said.
0: Listen, I'm too scared to play golf in front of all these people because they're good and I'm terrible. So you said something that was really interesting about how we're all moving too fast. And that's probably not just Woodfield or just streamline, but it's like probably just life in general and that we need to slow down and prep for like the next thing. How, how do you do that? Because that's like something I really struggle with. Um, I feel like I go from like one call to another call to another. Um, Or like sometimes I show up for a meeting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I even forgot like which property we're working on. Um, I actually saw a post in like a multifamily. I don't know if it was on Facebook or LinkedIn. I think it was actually on LinkedIn. But a good friend of mine had posted what he does is he schedules calls for 45 minutes and then he always has 15 minutes before his next call. So like over the last 30 days, what have you done to prepare for the next thing or refocus or.
1: Well, something I want to do better is continue to create those agendas and making sure that if we're on a call, it's not derailed, which still seems to happen because Everyone knows in the property management world, something pops up and we've got to discuss it right at that moment. But I think the amount of time that we spend on things on particular calls is where asset management, you and I have to make sure that we pinpoint truly the top priorities and what the team on that call can actually do with the information given um, a lot of times, you know, our partners are their, fo- their hot buttons or their, their things that we get stuck on. And if we know the hot buttons, I think that can help as well so that we're not constantly complaining about
0: them. Yeah. And everybody's hot buttons different. So maybe if you take them minute to just sh- like shift gears, maybe that helps. Maybe we should add that to our cheat sheet too. Like this project, hot buttons, whatever. Well, that's a good idea. Um, you said something else that made me think, but now I lost it. Maybe we'll come back to that. Because um, none of these were really on our list of questions, so I love that. Oh, I know what it is. So on the agenda, like I always say, and I teach it in my class, and I like probably like beat it into the ground. But I don't think any call should have like there shouldn't be in a call without an agenda. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think we get really stuck in like, this is what the agenda should look like, but maybe agendas should look a little different too. And, but I really think like, again, if you're listening to this, don't, like, you should not go into a call without an agenda. Even for an example, Melanie and I had a call with a, like a potential vendor that we might work with and we had to move the call. But when she reached out to this vendor, they said, she said, ask for an agenda the vendor never sent it over. And honestly, we went into this call not prepared. And it didn't do the vendor any like they were sales and they didn't it didn't do them any favors either because we didn't know what we were going into really. And then we really shut it down because it wasn't the most productive. But if they would have sent us an agenda, we probably could have hit some high points and maybe we'd be more interested in the product. So I would just say it's just another example of like don't have a call without an agenda. Mm-hmm. And we, again, like, going into calls without agendas, we waste so much time. Like, that's when people get really derailed. And it's... Well, I think we have some
1: managers that are really great at controlling the conversations for those time frame. You know, Hunter's a great example of that. She just makes sure that... It's reading. It's not reading the room because most of the time, obviously, these are virtual, but you can tell when a topic needs to be sidebar. And that's, you know, part of professional maturity is when you're on those calls knowing when, hey, we probably should take this offline versus getting stuck on something that, hey, we're not agreeing on or we need to do further research, like doing the call justice and not spending an hour on something that a partner doesn't need to know anything about.
0: Oh yeah, I'm the quickest to go. Hey, let's talk about that offline or yeah. hey, let me, um, <laughs> circle back with you about that. <laughs> That's always like mm-hmm. my biggest tip or, um, yeah, sometimes I just think we have to remember our audience too. And, and those calls aren't normally best for surprises too. Nah, exactly. So even though I I derailed us, um, just like the calls. Um, What about, so, you know, I think I asked you this the first time and we're doing a 30-day check-in and you've literally been here 30 days. And I would say that starting at Woodfield in November was like the best time to start. Your first day was a design meeting like not even six or seven days in you were on the golf course in west palm beach and we like had the greatest time with our team so now we're getting the holidays so i'm sure like you'll be getting a lot of gift baskets and things like that (laughs) but what like how did the first 30 days compare to like what your expectation was
1: well, transitioning from property management, like you think you know what an asset manager does or what a partner does and not to get into the the privacy of what our intellectual property is, but it's a different mindset, like completely different. You know, a lot of times teams just think we're there to yell and hold them accountable and make sure that they're getting leases and leases at the top rates and That is a part of the picture, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of the pressure comes from outside of the normal box that we think leasing and property management is about. There's economic factors, there's pressure from construction, there's pressure from you've lost a staff member. There, you know, we feel the same thing that property management does, it's just at a different level. And I think that kind of changed my mindset is there's more than just one factor that's affecting the conversations that we have on a day-to-day basis of how we do business on
0: site. Well, I think it's even harder today because I feel like everybody's working in a pressure cooker Mm -hmm. and you just don't even know when like one person is going to like explode or um, like the pressure is just real right now. And there's a lot of it. Um, I think it's also that mindset of like when property managers transition to RPMs like you think you know and but you really have no idea I honestly think that's the hardest transition is from manager to RPM I agree with that. you think you've got it all figured out and you think oh well this is going to be great but I truly believe like RPM is the hardest position in our industry and um and it doesn't get the credit that it needs but Really, you typically go into that thinking like, I can do this and you can do it, but it, you just don't realize the volume that's about to come at you and, and it's in real time. So I think it's transitioning from RPM to asset manager is similar, but on a probably easier, more digestible like level or,
1: but you have to change, you know, we were talking about the, Guy that just joined Woodfield and what during his interview process, Greg was saying, hey, are you a self-starter? Do you take the initiative to do things on your own? Because that's one thing that's different that I'm not used to. There's not like a to-do list of the day. Like You've got to sit there and figure out where you're going to find value in making sure that you're supporting the partner, the equity partner, the property management team. I'm supporting you. You're supporting me. It's just, it's different. Like I don't have 9,000 emails a day like I did when I was an RPM, but like there's different things that I have to dig into that take longer that aren't just like pulling a report. Like I'm now having to take that and analyze it more in depth.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the hardest things when you work for a company that's lean is you're always at the mercy of somebody else. Like we can't pull a T12. We can't pull a rent roll so we're always having to wait for somebody else to do it. And as like a mover and a shaker, you want to just, it's so tempting to be like, okay, let me just come up with my own budget template or let me just come up with my own cash flow thing. And like I uh, did
1: this week with you in a funding request.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Can I just do it? <laughs> yeah. It's because that's who we are, but now you're at the mercy. Like some of our peers, they have software and data and, You know, some of them, you know, their properties use their own PMS, and but we don't operate that way. So we're always at the mercy of somebody else. But you're right. I never really thought about it until last night during that conversation at dinner that, like, you, if this would never be a good fit for somebody like a Woodfield, a Streamline. I'm sure there's other lean developers out there that operate this way, too but we don't go to an office and we don't like most of us don't have employees that report to us. Like you have to like know what you need to do. Like somebody is probably asking something of you, but you have to know your responsibilities and you have to be willing to like make it happen. And I think because we run so lean, like our to-do list is so long. Like I, I don't know that I could ever get bored or like, I don't even (laughs) feel like I can take a day off, but really like if you are somebody who thrives in an office environment and being around people constantly, this would not be a good fit because especially when you transition from like management world to us, like all of a sudden you're onboarding and you, you go to being by yourself, your phone's not ringing, your email's not coming through. like. It can, I remember it being lonely when I first went out on my own. I only had streamline at the time and I was trying to find other clients or find a place to like that streamline would fit or, um, but even when I started like six months later or I don't know, four months later with Woodfield, like my volume of email was so low. I think about like, I thought about it somewhere. I was like, Oh, those days where I got four emails, I was sad and scared, (laughs) but now I get 300 and I'm like, oh my gosh, what would I do for like a day of four emails? But you're right. Like just again, back to the self-starter, if you're not that person, again, it it just would never be a good fit. Like Mm. if you're not, if you, I even think if you don't have an entrepreneurial spirit, it would be a hard fit. Like if you are very traditional and safe and you want all the things a large company gives, then it, it, it would Culture not shop. be. Yeah. It, maybe it's something you could adjust to, but um, it truly is probably the best fit for somebody who has like that desire to grow and do more and have additional opportunities and can see uh, it's entrepreneurial for mm-hmm. sure. It's so, creating
1: work for yourself, but creativity yeah brings a lot of light into what we can do. Like the processes that we think about that property management, God, you just never have time to make things better because you're just trying to get through the day. That's something that we try to do and take time to do is making sure that we're not creating work on site that could be given to a resident or given to,
0: you know, supporting the team. Exactly. Well, yeah. And the thing I'm the most excited about is all the processes we could put in place because, doing this at woodfield as one person like you just like i never could do it and i'm not really that person anyways um i am the person who is creative and big picture but it when it comes down to the details or creating the spreadsheet that is not me And that
1: is why melanie whitlock is here
0: that's right (laughs) i was working on spreadsheet 10 minutes ago so maybe you already answered this but what do you think is the most challenging in your 30 days
1: well, oh, that's a really tough question. I it still goes back to that communication of learning. Like I had a tough conversation with a partner that I wanted to make sure that he was happy with what I was providing as a strategy. And he was like, I just want you to run and go do it. Versus some other people want to talk through it and let's get on the same page. So you're working for 10 different people and 10 different ways of life and what they want to accomplish and how they want to is what is really hard to put and wrap your mind around.
0: Yeah. I've always wanted to write a book about being a leasing chameleon. And I really think like, that's what we have to do um, even as like Woodfield has grown and, you know, maybe as streamline takes on employees You have to adapt to every person. You have Mm -hmm. to just be so flexible. And maybe that's where the like, you know, we used to tell our leasing teams before you answer the phone, like stand up and smile. Uh, You even said it before we got on here. I got to make sure I'm smiling so people can hear it. (laughs) But maybe that's the thing we have to do as well. Like before you pick up the phone to call another developer or an equity partner, you stand up and smile and you think about who you're actually calling to make sure you shift to them. Because again, at least in our small world, who we work with is so different. And it's really, um, I mean, we could say on a, on a organis- organizational chart, you report to me and I report to somebody else, one of the principal partners. But at the end of the day, that's not true. I mean, it might be true on paper, but you today work with two developers. And you're helping me with other developers and teams. And then you have a construction manager and a development associate that you're all working with. But all of them are doing something different and all of them have different objectives.
1: And they all, their style is, one of them is on the phone. One of them is text. One of them is email. And one of them's like, you may or may not hear from me.
0: Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) Good
1: luck. Okay. Until you do something bad.
0: (laughs) But you know what? I think that's the beauty of it. And this is what people need to hear today, too, is, you know, there are times that we are given directives and you and I are like a dog with a bone. You give me a directive, I'm going to do it. Come hell or high water, we're figuring it out. Like, that's always been my thing. And I feel like it's one of your specialties, too. Like, give me the objectives and I'm going to figure it out. We got to move a house. We're going to move a house or whatever it is. But if you give me a directive... And even when I, we really felt like it wasn't working and we go back and it's still the directive, that feels like that's my job to figure out. And if I am not working towards that goal you gave me, then I don't feel like I can change that without your permission. Exactly. But in that learning experience, if you give me free reign to go do my job, then Heck yeah, I'm done. Oh, like, yeah. I'm I'm off. Yeah. So, you know, that's when we work with people and build that type of relationship and wow, you built it fast, is then that gives us the flexibility. Like we still, we know the parameters. We know our guardrails that we have to stay within and what to do. But when you tell me, go to your job, I'm going to do my job. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a great place to be. It was Definitely a learning experience, not what I expected. Because,
1: not. I mean, in the RPM role, that was one of the big transitions when I got promoted is, like, you kind of have the cuffs on for a little bit and, you know, no slight to anybody that was above me. But just, like, learning at first before you let the cuffs off and, you know, kind of a trust factor. But given I worked for Woodfield basically – My whole career anyway i think that was where i kind of misconstrued that i already understand the objectives we just have to fix the communication point of getting the
0: objectives across the finish line agreed yeah yeah i mean we try to give our teams like freedom and ability to be able to do those same things but it's on such a limited basis too And I always say, you know, I lived by that whole thing for my whole career of ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Mm-hmm. And we really try to kind of embody that in probably a more positive way with our teams. You know, I would rather get on to them like, oh, my gosh, you spent $5,000 on flowers. Then show up at a property and there's no flowers. So um, or same thing with. I mean, any scenario. What you're saying
1: is that's my hot button because you know how I am about flowers.
0: <laughs> well, I mean pots, not cut flowers. Y'all, we have this debate. I don't want to pay for cut flowers anymore, and she wants to. It's just too expensive. Uh, we, Trader Joe's all yeah, day. <laughs> I'm fine with Trader Joe's, for clarity. Um, so, again, maybe you already answered this, but if you could just pick one thing, like what's the highlight of the last 30 days?
1: Well, now I've gotten to do it twice, and that's being involved in the design presentations with Shelton Taylor. Like, I just, it it gives you a high just to think about, we're in Charlotte, but the deal that we were talking about yesterday was for Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I don't know Dallas that well, but being in that room, I felt like I totally get it. Like, I know the demographic. I know who we're trying to appeal to. I get the location, like what we're going to incorporate because of that location. And then putting it on paper, the design team, they just, they crush it. And it's, I think what's going to be the cool part is especially now with Stoneyard, you know, we talked about that on our last podcast, Asheville, seeing that on paper and then watching it come to life. Like, I am so excited for those zeals to deliver. And like, you had a part in that. Like, I, just, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And that's how, like, you were talking about 505 Cortland in Atlanta, and you're so passionate about touring people through the process because I think a lot of times, not that it doesn't present well to the blind or somebody coming in that knows nothing about the project, but you have been a part of it since step one, and you just want to explain, well, this is where we got this idea, and we were hoping that it would, you know, carry over from a local artist and it's just something that I hadn't been able to do before. And I'm excited to be a part of going forward.
0: And every project's different. And sometimes we just get to, you know, have a say in pieces of it. But the ones you get to be part of, and like it was your passion and dream that you fought for, mm-hmm. like those are more special. So Margo Midtown and Nashville will be one of mine that I've fought hard for. And then 505 Cortland in Atlanta is another one Like It was, you know, the development partner had this vision of what it would look like. And I felt it was very wrong for the neighborhood and the design team and I were so, so aligned that we really went in and pitched our like concept and why it was our concept and, Reluctantly, he gave us permission and the team brought it to fruition. And it is just absolutely amazing. But it's also a good example of why we do playbooks on every deal, too. Like in our design meeting yesterday, the architect was also part of it. And they're an amazing group. But we work together with the design team to bring elements from outside in. Mm -hmm. And those are the touches that if we don't teach the team, we don't put in a playbook, they might get missed. It's one of the things when a prospect comes through, they're like, wow, that's really cool. The brick flows from the inside out. But then that gives us an opportunity to say that was intentional. Like that's how this deal was designed. That's
1: Or which project is it that we're doing that the brick was a part of the original
0: stone yards
1: yards has, you could say the stones are going to be in part of the amenity spaces so that history continues through that and if you would have never told somebody that and that's one piece of advice we always tell people if you if you can meet with anybody that had the starting process of these projects particularly the developer who went and picked out the land for whatever that reason was you know mike's a great person tour with them and let them tell you the reasons why and i think it will dramatically change every tour that you take like Cooper River Farms is, you know, there's nobody better to tour with than me just because I'll be... Or or maybe the guy that built it. I mean... (laughs) Well, Mike's the developer. I put a little more pizzazz in it. But he told me all the things that he wanted in his mind to come to fruition on that deal. And I feel like it makes every tour more personal and you feel a part of that process. So,
0: a 100%. And, you know, lessons learned. Don't ever ask a developer to write it down for you. Like, (laughs) you guys, just... Ask them to come to the property and record it while you're walking Mm -hmm. on the voice memo thing. And then have that transcribed into bullet points for your playbook. Like, don't make it harder than it has to be. But listen, they have so much blood, sweat and tears in it that they want to tell that story to you. You know, we work on these projects for so long. I mean, uh, tell them how long. I think that was another surprising
1: fact for me. Like, Morrison Yard's been in the works, what, eight years? Seven years?
0: Maybe, but definitely actively working on design, concept, four years. And it just opened two weeks ago. Yeah. So, like, it's,
1: you probably have already forgotten some of the things that you chose from that point in time to now. Like, it's not blood, sweat, and tears just for five minutes. Like, it's.
0: It's like the pregnancy that never happens. Yeah. And so that's actually what I was going to say when you mentioned Stoneyard. and you can't wait for it to see, come to fruition because that'll be, you know, your first real deal that you sat at the design table with. And you didn't get to have a lot of say in amenity space planning or floor plans, but you did have a, a huge voice in the, you know, design of you know, F, and E type items. Mm-hmm. So, but when it delivers three years from now, like we need to do a podcast, like put it on our calendars because <laughs> I want to know like how much you really remember of that. Cause that's what happens too. is like, you work on so many that you're like, I have two deals that will open in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, does it have a dog park? Does it not have a dog park? I'm not sure. Or um, did I pick that out? I don't or know. Or you go through
1: the design book and you're like, well, I remember specifically we were supposed to have this piece of art here, this wall here. And you go back and you're like, no, it got VE'd. So it's yeah, like, that's a
0: memo you often don't get It's yeah. whatever the developer VE'd. Um, and listen, I know decisions have to be made, but there will always be special ones to you, like a 505 Courtland that um you get to be part of that. Like, I spend a lot of time in Nashville just for personal and I I don't go to town without going by, we call it state street, but Margo Midtown. And, but I, I can tell you so much about that building because I was part of every step of the way. And I fought for so much. Like our design is so intentional for that neighborhood and, and then, and the neighborhood actually transitioned quickly and so um you know part of the design won't be as meaningful because now there's things in the neighborhood that you know is supposed to be designed like a punch bowl social so that you never had to leave like you wanted to karaoke there's a karaoke stage in the speakeasy you know you want to go bowling oh well there's duck pen bowling in the club room like those are it was intentional. It was because the neighborhood was transitioning and we didn't want people to feel like they had to leave. They had to go downtown to hang out with their friends. They want, we want them to bring everybody there. So you never could have known three years ago that the neighborhood would move that quickly, but I, I can tell you every inch of that deal. I can tell you what the sign says when you walk in the door. I can tell you like, I intentionally have music piping out to the outside so that you hear the experience before you even walk through the door, like mm-hmm. every piece of it. And so, but you, you can't do that on every deal. So there'll always be like the special ones. Cooper River Farms is special to you. It's so special to me. And I didn't have a say in one thing there, but um it's, I don't know. I've just always loved that deal. So it's been in our
1: life a long time too. It's the longest hold we Woodfield's ever had.
0: Or close. Yeah. They've had a couple other deals, but yeah, you're right. And it, it's so unique. And again, I think it's the intention behind it. And that's the beauty of what we get to do with Woodfield is that every deal is unique and special. And, um, and listen, they're not all our ideas. Like I steal shamelessly a lot. And (laughs) Um, but we always try to put the spin on it like it's ours. So, you know, but that's what people don't know. I mean, one of our development partners has been working on a project. He told this story the other day that his son was like, I don't know the exact time, but it was like his son was in kindergarten when he started working on it and trying to go through the approval process and trying to go through the city and trying to go through the land seller and all the things. And he closed on it and his son's like, a junior in high school now Gosh! so people don't realize but and that's why you've got to get their story too, because it's so personal to them and there's so much poured into it and um it it's just an amazing process but it can be long and tiring and um so well we you're at the mercy of so many other people in that process
1: too And what's going to get approved. It's just like, we just got TCO for 408 Jackson today. (laughs) We've been waiting for that for six, seven months. And a lot of that was outside of our control. And that happens from day one of when we pick where we want to build to 10 years later when it actually comes to fruition. The jumping of through the hoops, which I think gets harder and harder for these guys, you know, is people are accepting development or rejecting it,
0: depending on where we are. A hundred percent. And there's just, you know, in every part of multifamily and and property management, there's just those unexpected challenges that you can't anticipate. Sometimes there's things that we miss and even on site or in development or the architect office or wherever, but it's just proof that we need to learn to pivot quickly and you can't just get bogged down in the minutia of it and the air of it. You, you got to pick it up and figure it out and get it moving again, or we'd never open deals and we'd never get them leased up or you would never get your renovation done or whatever the thing is. So, well, that's kind of what led
1: us to do the class that we're going to host on December 14th talking about pivoting and everywhere we turn, we are getting pushback about concessions and our particular strategy is to never offer them if you don't have to. And we've come up with some ways to kind of battle tough markets in particular times of the year. And I think obviously going into December, it's going to be a hot topic and we'd love for everybody to kind of jump in on that. And we don't have all the answers. And I think, Even having these classes, I've learned a lot about how other people approach it and great ideas
0: that can help us battle this crazy leasing game that we love. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, you guys follow us both on social. I'm Leslie J. Mathis and what's yours on Instagram? Mel.Whitlock. And we're going to post the class and we're going to get it out on LinkedIn. But... Um, and feel free to shoot either one of us an email at Streamline. Um, mine's L Mathis at StreamlineMultifamily.com and Melanie's is M Whitlock at StreamlineMultifamily.com. We'll get the link out to you, but we're really excited to share. It's, um, obviously this podcast isn't about concessions, but we're going to talk more about them this month and maybe Melanie can come back and we can share to you. But the reality is like, we need to understand why there's concessions in the market and we need to understand how we can sell against them and not offer them or severely limit them. And there's ways to do it. And there's reasons why we do it. And so it's not a two asset managers sitting in an office coming up with this bright idea. Like we've been doing this for four years now mm-hmm. with no concessions or very small amounts, but it's all why we have a playbook and we, you know, create this experience and we do the hard work on the front end so that, you know, we reap the rewards on the back end. And so I hope you'll join our class. It's going to be fun. And then the coolest thing about that class in two weeks from today is Christina Watts will be on. So if you listen to the podcast last week, she was the special guest and it's amazing. She is the most motivating person. I swear she told me to stand on the corner in the corner not on the corner in the corner <laughs> on my head and wear pink shoes and that would make me su- successful I'd like figure it out so she will be the closing part of our class it'll be well worth the money um, she will spend an hour with us teaching us about confidence and um, like all the things and like how to believe really what you're running after and and that can be as little as you know getting occupancy up three percent and not offering the farm so i hope you'll join us and follow her on social media too like she kind of goes
1: by the hype girl and i love some of her tiktoks because they just make me smile and sometimes you just need smile
0: yeah and hers is the christina no the dot christina dot watts and that's christina with a k that's right she I'm telling you, she's fantastic. She's also my mentor and life coach. So um, obviously I'm a big fan, but that's a really good story. We'll unpack one other day too. But um, she she's not afraid to get out there. And um, she's a really good dancer too. That makes me a little jealous. <laughs> and she has the coolest faux hawk. So anyways, um, all right. So you will not be back as an asset manager this year. On the podcast. Okay. So we'll come back, I don't know, what, 60 days from now. So at the 90-day mark. Okay. Maybe you'll be back as a concession, no concession expert. But holidays are happening. The new year is happening. We won't talk to you about asset management for 60 days. So what holiday cheer are you leaving us with?
1: Holiday cheer. I'm like thinking about all of the Christmas parades in my hometown. Um, y'all know I'm from a small hometown called Hemingway, South Carolina, and we have the coolest little parades. And my husband and I are hopping on our tractor with our cute little Christmas wreath and riding down the street, throwing out candy to all the cool kids on the block and just spreading Christmas cheer and got a lot of stuff going on at church. And I'm playing, I'm playing Mary in our town of Bethlehem play. I love that in
0: two weeks. So. I've got a lot of stuff. This is my favorite time of year. I love it. Look for her on YouTube. That'll be fun. (laughs) The
1: tractor version of me is going to be the best.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What I heard in that message, you guys, was pursue you and live your best life. If that means riding a tractor and a Christmas parade. Mm -hmm. So professionally, what's your last piece of advice to start off 2023 right? That's a deep one. You didn't prepare me for that one. Well, just one tip. What's one thing you were going to do?
1: I would probably, everything that you and I talk about all the time, it goes back to people. And my tip that I'm going to figure out, there's a person in my mind that I think about a lot, is I want to invest in somebody like you've invested in me and how I've grown so quickly in this particular career path. I want to pick that person. I love and that. I want that person to know that there's a support level out there and so much that you can learn if you just take the time to build relationships. So that's my goal.
0: For not being prepared, that's a pretty amazing one to leave everybody with. Now I feel like I need to up my game. <laughs> uh, I don't even have a word yet for 23, but um, I'm going to take some time to map out all the things. Um, it's interesting you say that too, that last year I said like every Monday I was going to send some type of encouraging note at a girl, whatever. And I started out pretty strong and um, not not doing well at all for nine months now. But um, I think those are all things that we can do. And I mean, I hope our teams even take some of that to heart. Um, I'm serious about bringing kids into 505 and teaching them art and feeding them snacks. And so I think like it's such a great encouragement for you to share, like how you're going to invest in somebody else. And gosh, maybe that should be like our goal of 23 of what would change if like our energy, some of our energy just gets so spent on the dumbest things that don't move anything forward Like, what if you somehow figure out how to silence that, and you spend your energy for for good and pouring into people? And
1: um. well, I think though the
0: word "people" versus the word "person" is
1: where people get caught up and overwhelmed. And I think that's why I said, like, I want to find that one person because then it's not like I'm trying to spread myself thin. I'm going to invest in that one person professionally or personally, but it just takes a little bit of the pressure off because it's a lot easier to talk to one person consistently than 15. Yeah. And not that you can't make a difference, you know, with multiple people, but start there. And if that investment, you know, has a great return, then do it again and do the same thing or learn from it.
0: Yeah. And what if they pay it forward? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we're investing in all these people. It's like at
1: the Starbucks line when somebody pays for you and you just, keep it going espresso for everybody i love it
0: (laughs) all right thank you so much for doing this it means a lot to me and i can't wait to check in in 60 days me as well thanks leslie see you all back here next week as always i appreciate your support and time i've been mulling over a few thoughts and ideas and promise to make next week a good one